The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good day to everyone and welcome to what promises to be an exciting session filled with courageous conversation. Uh, I can say it officially on behalf of the Mental Health and Wellness Committee of the American Council of the Blind, we're delighted that you're joining us by ACB Media or the Zoom platform or that you're even on site at the conference. Before we begin, I would like to read the disclaimer that has to do with how this particular committee functions. The purpose of this committee is advocacy, resource development, and education only. The Mental Health and Wellness Committee will not undertake activities that are designed to provide health care, mental health care, medical services, or attempt to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure in any manner whatsoever any physical ailment or any mental or emotional issue. Um, I was getting this part. Disease, I'm sorry, or condition. Committee members will not give medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Today, we have assembled a panel of what can only be referred to as soldiers. These are people that know what it's like to deal with mental health issues in various ways. And as we spend some time together, we're going to hear their unique stories, what they have dealt with, and even what they are doing now. So I'm very, very pleased to again welcome you here and to thank you for sharing and to thank our panel this evening. What I'd like to do is ask each of our panelists to introduce themselves and tell us something of your story in your own way because each of you present a unique perspective. And so what we'll do, we'll most likely be just following an alphabetical order. So that means, Chris Bell, would you start by telling us? Sure. Thank you, Pam. Uh, my name is Chris Bell, and um, I experienced uh, sex abuse and emotional abuse as a child. And as a result of that, uh, I have a diagnosis of PTSD and also well, probably a 50 plus year experience of depression that I've dealt with in many ways. I'm also a recovering alcoholic and of course I'm blind, but I also have a learning disability, which plays into all this, which is called nonverbal learning disability. And I will talk a little bit later about that. Okay, next. Go ahead, Anthony. All right. So I'm Anthony Corona, and I first want to just say how proud I am to have worked on this working group towards the community committee and being here today. I come from a perspective. I think that it often in, in our organization and in our community at large, we talk a lot about comorbidities and multiple diagnoses and, and things from a medical perspective, but I don't think that we look at it from a mental health and emotional well-being perspective in that way very often. My story includes growing up in a very dysfunctional family with a, a mom who was a functioning alcoholic, often verbally and sometimes physically abusive, grappling with, towards my high school years, figuring out my sexuality and how to come out and even if it was safe to come out. And then fast forward 20 some odd years to blindness. So that's kind of the perspective that I'm, I'm looking at for the conversation today. And I'm, again, I'm so very happy to be here. I believe that would make me next being a DE. My name is Margie Donovan and I'm delighted to be or have been a part of this work group for the past seven months which Pam is now the chair of the committee. My history includes um, a long history in my family of alcoholism and um, physical and mental abuse as a child and um, some depression as an adult and some anxiety. And I'm delighted to say, um, as of today, I am still a sober, recovering alcoholic. And I will tell more later. Thank you. This is Becky Dunkerson. So I think I'm next. Um, I am from Des Moines, Iowa. And I have a different 
type of a life, I guess you might want to call it. I was a child of blind parents. I have um, one of four siblings that are visually impaired and hearing impaired. So as a, a child and teenager, we were taught that because of our disabilities, we were, I mean, everybody knew us um, in the neighborhood. If the kids, if the kids and I was part of doing some shenanigans, which we did, mom and dad always knew because, oh, she belongs to the blind people. They're not going to know. So we're going to tell the blind people what's going on. So I, I faced a lot of that and learned very quickly that my actions and the things I do dictate who I am and what I am. Um, and so I've had a lot of bumps up and down and I uh, did the 12 step uh, program and finding myself kind of back in that situation um, more for my uh, with life issues. Um, and I think that's all I will share at this moment. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you to all of you. Well, the title of this particular event is called Me to the Third Power, Finding, Working, and Sharing Myself, Our Journey with Mental Health and Emotional Well-Being. That's a lot, but I think what it does is break down this journey into three distinct parts. And let me say to the panelists, even with questions, I want you to respond to the question your way. So don't feel that if you say something that's off topic, don't panic. It's just you being you. And it's you who we really want to talk to this evening. So let's think about finding yourself. Finding yourself. Here's the que first question for that one. How did you find yourself? How did you find yourself? So how about, since we started with Chris the last time, why don't we just move on to starting with Anthony? Anthony, how did you find yourself? Well, I've thought a lot about that over the last couple of weeks as we were preparing for this panel. And I think I found myself a couple of different times or maybe different stages. When I was growing up, um, as I mentioned in the opening, you know, we had a very dysfunctional family and in families like that, you tend to take on roles and mine was the protector. Mine was to keep the house going to, and most importantly, to make sure that no one outside the household knew what was happening inside. And so I think for, you know, the first 18, 19 years of my life, I compartmentalized all the parts of my life. I had home life. I had my extended family life. I had school life. I had baseball life. And eventually I had work life. And I didn't want those lives to interact too much. I didn't want people from one area to see the other areas, especially the darker area. And so when I got to one thing that I lived for, I played baseball and it, I loved it, but I didn't. I didn't want it to be my only savior, but I knew that if I was good enough, it would also pay for college. And that was the thing that I looked for from probably around the time that I was 11 until 17 when I finally stepped on the campus of Hofstra because I felt then I could finally be free to be me. Except you take your physical baggage, you take some clothes, some books and CDs, and but you also take all your emotional baggage with you and college was this beautiful open world of so many different kinds of people, ideas, thought exchanges, and something that had never happened to me before, at least, or at least I had never identified before, I started having panic attacks. And I started trying to merge all of these pieces of my life together because I'm finally free and I don't have to go back home for, you know, for nine months. <laughs> so I can be the real Anthony, except at that point, I didn't know who the real Anthony was. I went for college, college counseling services. And after 15 minutes, they prescribed me a little pill that I could take every day. And um, I could take another one if I got really anxious. And I could come back in a month and let's see how you're doing. That didn't work for me. 
But I'll stop there for now because finding myself was a mixture of fully coming out as a proud gay man, loving the idea of being one Anthony in the world and my college and baseball experience. Thank you. Wow. Well, if the alphabet stays the same, I think that means that Margie is next. I believe that's correct. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was proud that we passed the alphabet test. (laughs) Excuse me. I apologize. I have good old Northern California allergies. Hello again. You know, as I said, I grew up in a very dysfunctional alcoholic family, and I was sexually abused. And um, as a kid, I remember laying in bed at night, literally pulling my hair out as a small child and twisting it around my index and thumb. And somewhere down the road, I was put on a little bit blue pill. I I don't know really much about it. And that was supposed to help that. And I wet the bed for many, many, many years. And as an adult, I believe a lot of this was due to the direct anxiety and stress that I was under living in a household of alcoholics and and um, full family of alcoholics, not just my parents, my uncles, aunts, grandparents. And um, also my parents were illiterate, and so we had to cover up for that. As an adult, I've always suspected and finally confirmed that my mother was developmentally disabled, and that actually helps me a lot to understand that as an adult. And so my goal in life was, of course, to get out of the home, and I consider myself blessed that I um, I was, as far as we know, I was born with glaucoma. It wasn't diagnosed till I was three, and I was a high partial, and then at 14, I started losing my sight, and my parents finally let me go to the school for the blind, which was truly my freedom, and I, I started seeing role models there, blind adults. I didn't have any at home. And um, I started seeing there's hope for me as a young blind adult or as a young as a teenager. There was hope for my future. And my goal was to be to get a college education um, since I learned it was possible. And then I did that. And I was the first one in my family to go to college. And then I went back to college after I learned about my dream job and got my master's and got into my dream job. And during my journey, I've dealt with some pretty severe and ongoing chronic pain issues. And um, from that, I learned as I, after I was injured, I started consuming alcohol very heavily. And um, it's often not a surprise to anyone in ACB that saw me party. (laughs) I became a blackout drinker. I found out that I had depression. I thought it was situational. I went through a major um, legal issue with my previous homeowners association, and that ended up putting me on on uh, antidepressant. And I I had an incident at work one day in an elevator, which caused a full-fledged anxiety attack, and then I've had one other since. And I... I guess where I began to find myself was on January 4th of 2017 when I stepped into, this is emotional for me, but I'm going to be real, my very first AA meeting. And I'm very proud to say that I'm still in AA, that I'm still sober, and my self-discovery is still revealing itself each and every day. It's, it's, and I think it's a life journey process as an alcoholic. I have also joined um, back in December Al-Anon, and that's really where a lot of my self-discovery is coming from. My need right. to control, my need to boss, my need to, my OCD. There's a lot that I'm learning and learning to manage and learning to change and learning to deal with. And as I say, this is a life journey for me. And I will also. And Margie, we're going to pick that up at the next question. Okay, we're going to pick it up. Okay, thank you. I will close this with just saying that I absolutely believe now that God is in my life and plays a major role in it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing this part of your journey, Becca. Tell us more about your journey. How did you find yourself on the way? 
Well, um, you know, Pam, when I when I thought about this this uh, panel discussion, I I've gone in like twenty different directions, but I'm one that I tend to take words or phrases and try to focus on what it means for me. And so when I was thinking about this, that it was, you know, 4th of July weekend and, and the holiday stands for freedom and, and freedom is, is everybody has their own definition of what freedom is. Um, and for me, I, I think for me, the F is for friends and how, and, and friends is how I started to find myself. Um, you know, as a young person, teenage and young 20s, I did a lot of things that um, most people nowadays would never think that I was that way because I hit a lot of things that I did and thought, um, you know, my friends were doing things that, oh, you know, like the partying and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and that, you know, it was okay for a while, but it wasn't me. And so I did a lot of searching for who I am. And like I said earlier, I was one where if I was out and about, people knew who I belonged to and I didn't want it going back to mom and dad because you know what happens when that um, gets back to mom and dad. But so I started kind of just looking at myself and what I wanted. Um, and in the early 90s, I ended up um, surrounding myself with people that have uh, good role models and um, positivity. 12-stepping um, was something that I started back in the 90s. You know, most people associate 12-stepping with AA or NA or any of the anonymous programs. But, you know, that can, I, I recently found a program that's called Celebrate Recovery. And it talks about anything and everything from hangups and um, situational things and it doesn't have to be an anonymous uh, type program but that was the beginning of how I started to find me um, and it has helped me to focus on the here and now which I know we're going to talk in a little bit back to the freedom remembrance remembering where you come from and where you're going um, has been important to me and and, you know, I can share more of this uh, later, either today or, or in another call. So okay. that's kind of where I started to find myself. Thank you. Thank you so very, very much. I guess we come back around to Mr. Bell. Chris? I'm kind of with Margie. I, I'm, uh, I'm still discovering myself, and I imagine I'll be discovering myself till I'm dead. And because uh, for me, it's, it's kind of all about experience, ultimately. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I started out when I, given my family, I, my way of dealing with my, uh, emotional and sexual abuse was I would disassociate and, uh, you know, that worked a little bit, but I grew up, emotions were pretty much prohibited in my family. Not that you can really prohibit emotions, of course. So, you know, when I was in college and I was asked to draw a picture of, of, you know, who I thought I was, I drew a computer. You know, the old type of computers with the with the tape tools uh, uh-huh. and all that stuff. Um, and that's what I thought it was. And I was just like, you know, the, the answer man or whatever. And uh, I, I was really pretty clueless about that. But I, I was experiencing depression. And like Anthony, I went to a, a college counselor. And but fortunately, I didn't get the little blue pill. But I did. Uh, I did start psychotherapy then. And uh, but I discovered that I could deal with my depression with alcohol. And I thought, gee, alcohol is a great way to treat depression. Not. And uh, so I started drinking and drinking heavily and drinking more heavily. And at some point I became an alcoholic and I drank heavily for 30 years. And the point where my behavior became pretty erratic and I had affairs and um, you know, didn't behave very well at all. And I got to the point where uh, I really didn't like myself anymore. Mm. So I, I checked myself uh, into uh, Hazelden, uh, which is an alcohol rehab place in Minnesota. And I did 30 days inpatient. Um, and that was sort of, in some ways, the beginning of my 
real discovery of, of who uh, I mm. am, but that'll do for, for now. It's impressive how each of you, you know, there's some similarities in that process, but in a way, each one of them is, is very, very different. So thank you. And again, I'm going to keep saying it because it just means so much to me. I, I just am in awe at your transparency and your willingness to put what's out there out there because I think for many of us, what often happens is we keep the secret and helping other people to understand that you can let it out there in a safe and healthy way. So here we go. So we talked about how did you find yourself? So here's the question. What did you find? When you found yourself, what did you find? So in that case, we're going to go ahead and start with Margie. Oh, my gosh. What did I find? <laughs> I found. <laughs> and, and I recognize that as we're talking about this, many of you have said, and I think so true, you're still finding. So, right. But certainly, what did you find? <laughs> you know, I kind of, I found a huge mess is what I found. A huge mess that I was never aware of before in my life. And I, I've always prided myself in being a very strong person. And I, um, I can be strong but still be broken, so to speak. And um, one of the things I discovered is, um, obviously, I could not give up alcohol. I had given up smoking years ago. I'd give up smoking pot years ago. I've given up a lot of stuff. But when it came to drinking, I could not do it until I stepped into my very first AA meeting. And after becoming sober and working the program for almost, well, it was pretty much close to five years, I found out that I'm very mean to myself, that I say a lot of bad things about me to me, like how stupid I am, and that was stupid of you, and, oh, you're not a good blind person, you can't read Braille very fast, comparing myself to others, I guess is what I found, and I'm not enough, I, I, I'm not enough, and that's what um, led me towards Al-Anon, because that's where a lot of that work, um, and I'm sure I got most of that as a child from my family, and even from some teachers, sadly enough to say, that's really what I found. And um, so that's why I'm where I am today with AAN Al-Anon Thinks. And I'm happy to be sharing this, by the way, because I'm hoping this will help others to realize that bringing forth what is real is very healthy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Becca, what did you find? Becca has left the meeting. I think we did everybody who's still here. Okay, so we'll go ahead to the next question. If people, uh, Becca or Mark, come back, we'll certainly give them a chance to respond as well. So what are the things that we've talked to, and this is kind of our next element, if you will, has to do with working on yourself. And, and some of you have, yes. Mm -hmm. We, I started, what did I find? We did not go around with um, Anthony and Chris. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. You two quiet gentlemen, and thank you for that. All right. <laughs> so we'll go to, to Chris. Okay. Um, what did you find? <laughs> well, thank you, Margie. You know, I, I'm not really doing this chronologically because I didn't go to uh, a I didn't go to rehab for alcoholism until I was 53. And, um, uh, you know, I was born uh, with retinopathy prematurity and I uh, was 14 weeks premature and weighed two pounds, 12 ounces, which is not tiny by today's standards. But in 1951, it was real tiny. But I had vision at about 2050. Minus uh, my uh, my uh, first grade teacher refused to teach me to read because she thought I wouldn't amount to anything. So my mother taught me, but I didn't become legally blind until I was uh, 18 and a freshman in college. And uh, I was actually out on a date with a, a young woman from from college and my retina detached and I called my first blind date. So then I, I stayed at home. I had a bunch of eye surgeries and whatnot. And at that point, I was legally blind. I went back to college with a cane. And I wanted to be a teacher, so I did education stuff and uh, then did you know, taught in Massachusetts for a couple of years. And then I decided that I wanted to make more money than $7,500 a year. So I went to law school 
uh, and then became a legal services lawyer. But the point of all this is that, you know, all of this, I was dealing with a whole bunch of issues I hadn't really dealt with, with being blind. I didn't go to my first ACB convention until I was, uh, well, let's see, it was in 1980 or 1981. Uh, and that's when I discovered that, hey, here are all my peeps. Everybody's going, hey, Charlie, where are you? You know, and <laughs> we're getting lost and, you know, couldn't find the room. And I thought, damn, this is great. Uh, and, but, but then it wasn't, but I'll get to the it wasn't part uh, later. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I remember my first ACB convention, and I said, hey, the country of the blind really does exist. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Anthony, what did you find? So I, I think, you know, we've all think everybody has said it in a certain way, and, and I want to piggyback mm -hmm. that I'm still finding okay. myself all the time. Mm -hmm. But to kind of pick up from where I left off before, and that's, okay. you know, with that little pill and come back in a month and let's see how you're doing. I, that didn't work for me. I, I knew that I was in some form of crisis. And a very quick story, it was Christmas time, and I love Christmas. And one of the biggest malls, at least on the East Coast at the time, was right by the school that I went to. And I was going to go Christmas shop. I walked into the Macy's entrance and it has a distinctive smell. All Macy's smell alike. They sound alike. And all of a sudden, my vision just started going. And I heard ringing in my ears. I was hot, like hot. I thought it was like 100 degrees in that Macy's. And I didn't know where to go. I'd been in that mall hundreds of times at that point. I didn't know where to go. And I was frozen. And people were asking me, are you okay? And things like that. So I needed more than a pill, you know, a bottle of pills and come see us in a month. So I started to look for other services. And I found someone that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And as we began to unpack first the incidents that were happening, and then why are these incidents happening? I realized the first thing I found out about myself was, who the heck are you? You're this person at work. You're this person at school. You're this person on the team. And you're this person with your family. Oh, and wait, um, you think you're gay, right? So you're adding another person in there. Who are you? And through some really great therapy, I started to understand that there weren't all of these different Anthony's that had to perform. There was a basic Anthony underneath it all that I just stopped listening to. I had to protect the family. So I had to play that role. I had to go to school and I wanted to make something of myself. So I had to play that role. And underneath it all, there was this little boy, this scared, crying little boy who never felt that he could ever really be himself. He just had to be what everybody else told him to be or expected him to be. And so I started to, I started to listen to my inside, Anthony, that little boy. And I started to tell him, you don't have to be this and you don't have to be that. You just have to be you. And Mary was my therapist's name that first therapist, because I've been in and out of therapy my entire life. And, and for me, and this is only for me, I truly believe that there'll always be an ongoing therapeutic conversation because when life gets too noisy, when there's too much going on, I revert even now with all that I know about mm -hmm. myself, I still revert back to the patterns of, I have to be this Anthony here. I have to be this Anthony there. But at least I now know that there is still that little boy, Anthony, in there, the true Anthony, the feeling Anthony, the Anthony that wants to be a good person, not a good person for you, but a good person for the world in general. And I think that's a good place for me to stop for now. <laughs> you guys, I'm sorry. It's just hard because the more you all are talking, it's, it's, it's oh, I'm getting goose pimples. That's the only way I could describe it to you. You told us it's, to be courageous, and I got to say, <laughs> I've got goose and butterflies. I've got all that going on. Well, and the blood Becky of butterflies is, is flying in formation. That's all I can <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I want to um, be a little. Becky ahead, is sorry. back, Pam. Becky is oh, promoted. Good. 
Okay, okay. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know what happened, but I lost it, and I had to come back in on the um, other side. So thanks for moving me over. And okay. I miss now. <laughs> All right. So let me see where we left off, because certainly we still want you in on this conversation. And we were working on the section talking about find yourself. And I don't know, did you get to do the question? The one where we probably didn't have you is on what did you find? What did I find? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I actually, uh, now I got to go back and find my little, you know, guys, I, I wrote this freedom thing. Um, and now I have to, <laughs> I'm sorry. Pam. Okay. Not um, at all. No, no, no. Because here's the key. And I hope that uh, particularly our audience is picking this up. You've got to be able to tell your story in your own way. And for some people, um, one of the things that Chris had pointed out, sometimes that story is kind of chronological. But then in other, other times you tell the story just as the pieces came together for you. So the questions that we're using are primarily just as a guide, but they're not a rule book. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and my story, as as many of you have, have figured out, is, is a little bit different because I have not done – you know, the, uh, m- most of my stuff has been self, self-medicated, self-taught, um, you know, where I have not met with therapists and I have not gone through treatment, so to say. Um, most of mine has been kind of on my own, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it is a struggle. And I, I guess I want to kind of represent the idea that, um, you know, we all have different ways of, of um, dealing with things and, and coping, I guess, is the, is the way. Um, so back to my the freedom thing that I started, I already gave you the F as friends and R as remembering. Um, e was, th- there's actually two E's. One is empowerment and emotional balance. Um, and for me, the emotional balance is, is actually, let me go back to empowerment. Um, people, whether it's your friend, um, somebody that you looked up to, um, I've even been, I, I will admit, I have even been empowered by some people within this group, within ACB, that have helped me to find myself as far as I can do this. And, and I'm one of these people that, oh, I can do it, but maybe not I'm not good enough and and that's always how I've been is I'm not good enough and everything I do is just not gonna quite make it so ACB has actually helped me to start working on the fact that I am okay where I am um, and I am okay with what I'm doing and I don't have to be like Anthony and I don't have to be like Pam or you know I I can be like you said we need to be me um i need to be me and not try to put myself into a mold that i'm not and so that's where empowerment has really helped me to kind of find more of myself is is what do other people see in me because let's face it we're human i am human and i will find all the negative things and maybe one positive thing um, and it's just the way my brain seems to be wired. Um, and so finding empowerment from other people has helped me to develop that I am okay. Um, and I don't have to be this top of the world person. Um, the other E that is part of this freedom thing is emotional balance. And I might be getting ahead of some of your stuff and, and I don't know what other oh, people hey. The emotional balance for me has been, I, you know, let's face it, life is a roller coaster. And I, I feel like I've been on a roller coaster. And sometimes I'll say I want to get off. But if I get off, what's that roller coaster going to do? And where am I going to end up? So emotional things dictate a lot of what we do, what we say. And I think right here is where I would like to, some people know, some people don't. Um, but the road that I am on right now is difficult because 
I am facing the idea that I've been married for 21 years and just recently my husband was told if you have anything on your bucket list then you need to make sure you do that well we all know what those words mean and so that's been like I said this emotional balance is something that I'm trying to find and I think all of the experiences that I have gone through up until now and I should say we as in as as a couple have helped us to face what we face and so I think that's that's important is to to know that you're not alone and that you're not on this journey alone and to try to reach out which is extremely difficult for me because I I don't like to admit that I'm having a really hard time and I'm having a really rough day. But knowing that other people care to help you get through that. Thank you. So I'll stop what, there because the, the DOM kind of goes together and that's kind of a, a a good thing at the end toward type thing. So I'll stop. We'll come back to you. <laughs> you get a chance. We'll come back to you. And we thank love you, you for Becky. reminding all of us, reminding all of us that it's okay to not be okay. It reminds so thank you so much for sharing that and thank you for reminding us and I'm glad anything we're doing to contribute that to let you know that you're not alone. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to do this next section called Working on Yourself a little bit different, A, because I forget where we are with this alphabet thing. So I'm just going to throw it out there and whoever wants to deal with it, take it. Just make sure that all all of our panelists get a chance. It's called Working on Yourself. And I just still want to share both questions that are under there, but still go ahead and share it in your own way. So two things. What was the work? And many of you have sort of said this already, but still feel free to do whatever fits for you. What was the work that you did on your journey? And what do you do to maintain yourself on the journey? Take it away, <laughs> Okay. So when I stopped, I went through alcohol rehab and I got out and I was sober and, uh, That was fine, except for the fact that I had just thrown my crutch away, my crutch being alcohol. Mm -hmm. And after I did that, I had all kinds of other behaviors, compulsive uh, behaviors that popped up and said, okay, well, we'll we'll replace alcohol. (laughs) And uh, so then I became uh, very depressed and I had suicidal ideation. And I remember this feeling. I was actually walking to my therapist. I was on the sidewalk and this was in St. Paul, Minnesota and there were traffic and whatnot. And I had this sense of being pulled, you know, like in the old Star Trek thing where they had the tractor drive. I felt like I was being pulled to walk out in the middle of traffic and uh, which freaked me out. So uh, I I checked myself into a mental hospital for 35 days. And uh that's when I learned that I had been sexually and emotionally abused. I really had no idea, but uh, that was kind of a very scary revelation. And that's when I got my diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I got out of there and they said, okay, now uh, you need to go to another institution to work with all, work on all those other compulsive behaviors. And then when you get out of that place, then we want you to see two psychologists twice, twice a week and a psychiatrist. And I said, hey, okay. So I did all that. And uh, so that was a major amount of that whole period in 2003 was I was in three institutions and did uh, hours and hours and hours of therapy. And it made a difference. And, you know, I've been sober for 19 years and I wouldn't have been able to stay sober even with Alcoholics Anonymous without all that work. But the work continued in in a different sense is that uh, you know, when I started getting into the blindness movement, I started comparing myself to other blind people, and it was not very pretty because uh, I have a number of limitations that I didn't understand, but I thought they were character defects. So I have very poor balance. Um, I have no sense of orientation. I never know where I am. I'm always lost in my house, in my own house. The only way I can find myself is to touch something 
Um, and then I saw, okay, well, that's the, that chair. So then I need to go this way or that way. You know, I can walk down a street and turn right and not realize I turned right. Um, and in fact, I have on several occasions uh, crossed from one side of a four lane street in active traffic on one side of the street to the other side of the street and was not even aware I'd done it. I could hear the traffic, right? But I couldn't localize it. I didn't know where the cars were my right, left, front of me, behind me. I just, well, that's, that's interesting noise. <laughs> like I got to the other side of the street and I realized there was no sidewalk. And I knew that there was only a sidewalk on one side of the street. And I obviously had crossed it, but I wasn't aware when or how or any of that other stuff. So, uh, so I, you know, so I felt really incompetent as a blind person. You know, I can't cook because I don't really have any proprioception. So if I hold a frying pan in my left hand and I go to put, uh, make, try to make an omelet, and I pour the omelet in the frying pan on the right hand, I miss the frying pan because even though my left hand is on it, it doesn't help me because my right hand doesn't know where my left hand is. And then I have trouble with object identification. So I was trying to make a spaghetti one time. I had spaghetti cooking in a frying pan and it was kept kind of spilling over. I couldn't understand why that was. And I was boiling sauce for spaghetti. And my wife, who was blind, came home and said, why are you cooking the spaghetti sauce in a, a colander with holes in it? And why are you boiling water in a metal dog dish? I had no idea. I thought there was a frying pan in a, in a pot. So uh, all of that, you know, when I'm hanging out with, with, with regular blind folks who can do all this stuff like cross streets and, and cook and, and, uh, and, you know, walk with their dog and stuff. And as I got older, uh, because I had my left leg started to get weak. So finally, I had a neuropsych eval and the neuropsychologist said, oh, well, your problem is when you were born, you had two lobes of your brain never developed. So my right parietal and right temporal lobes never developed. And so anything that's spatial, I don't get it. You know, also, um, I don't understand sequences. I don't I can't outline anything because I don't understand how things relate to each other. And, uh, you know, I can't do math. I, Obviously, I didn't learn to read Braille because Braille never made any sense to me. What are those little dots anyway? What, what are they? I don't know what that shape is. So I really felt incompetent as a blind person until I found out that I had a, I had a learning disability. It's called nonverbal learning disorder or nonverbal learning disability. And about 10% of people with retinopathy prematurity have it, but you can also get it as a soldier or through other traumatic brain injury. And that was such a relief to find out that I, I wasn't a dumb, incompetent, blind person. I was just brain damaged. And, but, you know, I, I still live with those limitations, but at least I don't take it out of myself and think that I'm stupid. So next. Thanks. Cause that's, that's part of the work, you know, and thanks. Yeah. And I'm sure that what I'm getting from you is every day is a new day, mm -hmm. you know, every yeah. day is a new day. Would you repeat the question again, please? Sure, sure, absolutely. The question has to do with working on yourself. So it really mm. has to do with what work have you done on the journey and what are you doing today? What are you doing now as you continue? Well, I'll take that one. This is Margie. Okay. And um, I have a whole bunch of work I do. I attend three AA meetings a week and one Al-Anon meeting. And I actually see that for the rest of my life. I work with the sponsor. And I work with a sponsee, meaning I mentor someone who's newer in the program, although it's not always that way. And then I have my sponsor mentors me and I work the steps. I have a routine every morning. Or I, I, I would like to say every morning. Some mornings it doesn't happen, but what works really well for me is staying in my routine, which is um, I listen to a song, which reminds me that I am perfect the way I am. And I can let go of my broken pieces, or what I see as broken pieces. And I have a very spiritual aspect of that in that I have a very close relationship with God. I'm, I'm a prayer in the mornings. I start my day with a prayer. And sometimes I it might just be something as simple as, thank you, God, for another day of sobriety. Please keep me sober today. You know, if I forget or I, or, or I don't feel like whatever, I'll just do something so simple as that, or I may have a long drawn out prayer. So it's kind of wherever my mood is that day. And if I start my mornings like that, 
with my song and with my prayer and hopefully someday to be meditating. I I'm pretty solid in my days. It doesn't mean that I, I'm, 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 I'm free of, of any frustrations or anything like that. But then there's a prayer, and I, I won't, I'll just say it real quickly, the serenity prayer, which I use whenever I need to. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I use that frequently throughout my days as I'm experiencing things that, um, put me on edge or frustration or whatever. I am under the care of a psychiatrist, mainly for sleep disorders, but I, I am on um, a medication, a very low dose antidepressant, which my goal is to get off of by the end of this year. I, I will say this, having a, a psychiatrist that I really like, and I feel like I lucked out with my doctor, Blindness has never, ever, ever been an issue with him. As a matter of fact, he compliments and sees that that is a part of my life, not my life. Thank you. And that's very important to me. And I can't say that I have found that in very many therapists that I've been with. But I also, as I feel the need, I'll be in or, in or out of therapy at any time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anthony? So... Um, going back to, to that college experience, there was a therapist between the, you know, pill giver and Mary and <laughs> that therapist. And, and at that point, like I said, I was figuring out that I was gay. Um, why I didn't know before, I'll never know. Some people know early on. Some people know, you know, when you know. But that therapist wanted to guide me in a way that the conversation continually and we deal with this in in our community your problems stem from you're blind well you know my not knowing myself was because i wasn't comfortable enough with being gay and on top of that he wanted to um diagnose me as bipolar and so you know for a couple of months I tried and, and it didn't work. So I then, you know, gave up for a while. I partied for a while. I, uh, we had an amazing baseball season. Anyway, um, I, I soon realized, okay, he wasn't the one, but there's, there, you know, there's work that needs to be done here. But my perspective was, I want to fix the problem. I don't want to be anxious and I don't want to be all these different Anthonys. I want to, you know, and there was a soap opera with the dissociative identity and I knew I wasn't, you know, other personalities, but I wanted to integrate. That was the word that they kept using. They were integrating the personalities. I wanted to fix the problem. And about three sessions in with Mary, we were talking and she says, you have to tell me the truth. And I said, I am telling you the truth. She said, no, you're telling me situations and you're telling me facts as they exist to you. It's truth, but it's not the truth. You're not telling me what really happened. And I sat there and I immediately flashed back to something that had happened. I, I told someone when I was in junior high school and they called my mom in and had a conversation with her to which they, she was a functioning alcoholic. She went to work every day and, and, and managed a golf course and all kinds of things. So she was very well uh, uh, able to show others around that she was fine and I was emotionally disturbed. She wasn't an alcoholic. Every once in a while, she liked a glass of wine, but she wasn't an alcoholic. These things weren't going on in the home. And when I got home that day, I got beat bad. And so from that point on, I never told anybody anything. What I really did was I started lying. And in that session, I realized I have to find the truth I have to face the truth and I have to tell the truth. And that really began my, my true journey. And like I said, I've found myself a bunch of different times over the years and life happens. I, I mentioned this in another conversation a while ago. My father always told my sister and I that people, places, or situations can invite you to feel anyway. You and you alone choose whether to accept or decline those invitations. And I realized, you know, for the first time, oh my God, I know what he means. I just have to tell my truth. And so to segue it into, you know, today, when I lost my eyesight, I went into a different closet, not the gay closet. That one's fabulously open. It's got rocks of shoes and all kinds of accessories. 
I went into that dark little broom closet and I said, no, I can't let the world see me this way. And I felt that way for a while, but then I found the truth again. I didn't want to see myself that way. I felt emasculated. I felt broken. I felt everything I had achieved up to that point was gone, et cetera, et cetera. And so I reached out for another therapist. Mary, God rest her soul, is no longer with us. But I also reached out for a higher power and I reached out for community. And that's where ACB comes in. And so on a daily basis, I I try to find the truth, face the truth and tell the truth. And I think that's a good place to leave it for now. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Becca, did we get you on this particular topic? We did. No. No. Okay, go Uh, please. And would you finish your last few letters there? Because I know you had prepared something and then we'll move into our closing section. Yeah, which is the yeah. last section. It's not ending the meeting, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, so D, I, I put down D as direction because having direction has always helped me to keep keep myself on the right road, keep myself sim- simplicity is something that I try to do um, because if I do too many things, I tend to stray off on the different little paths and then I wonder how I got to where I am. And so I try to keep things as simple as I can. Um, like Margie, I have a faith and I, I believe in miracles. Um, and I believe that um, without my faith, I would not be where I am today. So that has played a factor in things. Direction and, and being focused has really helped. Um, oh, I put down as openness. Um, you know, this committee and, and ACB has really helped me to learn that I need to be open and honest. Um, and as difficult as it is sometimes, it's really been um, nice to know that I don't have to explain myself anymore. I can just be me. I don't have to have an excuse for whatever I'm going through. That's been helpful. And then the last thing has been motivation. The motivation, again, ACB, um, a few friends that are that I'm close to, Alan, he, he motivates me because I just can't imagine being in his shoes knowing what he's facing. And so um, motivation has helped move me forward. And I'm, I'm trying to live for today. And one thing that I've learned um, is I can't worry about tomorrow. I can't worry about next week. And I can't definitely cannot worry about next year and so I try to stay in the today but I find that's difficult because I'm a planner and even with this committee it's like I have to know what I need to say I have to know what I gotta do it's I can't just pull it out of the air and say oh well this is what I want to say because it's my brain is wired differently and I'm a planner but so freedom has been, I think it's a, a beautiful word and just um, has really helped me to get through. So maybe I'll share more of um, what I wrote and stuff in a, maybe I'll send it to the Braille forum or something. But um, I just wanted to kind of share a little bit about that as I was sharing about me. Thank you. And thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. And I think we all can relate to that. Good word, freedom. That's what I like to say. And thank you for just just giving us that um, perspective. The last section has to do with sharing yourself. And that's why I think it's a good one. As we get ready to close out, we do have some more time. But each of you, to me, has shared things that I know that it had to and it is difficult to share. We have a lot of folk out there. We've been hearing from them on our various calls who are still being silent, who still feel that sense that they can't tell anybody. So knowing that you did it and knowing that the good and the challenging, you got through it. So here's kind of this sharing yourself. And there's two questions here. And the first one is, what was it like the first time that you shared your story? What was it like the first time 
that you shared your story. And here's part two of it. Again, there are two questions, but I think we, you can do them just in the same um, reflection. What was it like your first time? And why do you continue to do it? Why do you mm-hmm. continue to do it? So whoever would like to go, we'll just do it in whatever order you care to. So this is Chris Bell. I'm going to start because I've been busting out here. So I'm not going to answer your question because I'm going to talk about right now, which is I find myself at this conference and convention in Omaha extremely conflicted because, uh, you know, on the one hand, I'm on the board of directors. I've done a lot of committee work uh, for ACB, a lot, of, a lot of advocacy. I've been a disability rights advocate for most of my life, and all that's great. But I come here, and I'm completely lost. I never have any idea where I am. And I can't really work my guide dog because I don't know what to tell her. Like, you want to go right? Well, I don't know. Should I go right? No, no maybe we should go left. I have no idea. Right. And plus, um, because of my right side brain damage, I'm left uh, my left leg is very weak. So I use a support cane and I can't walk very fast. And and I can't even I have a hard time finding my room because I don't understand numerical sequences. So and my room's got, you know, I've got four numbers and I'm only used to rooms with three numbers. So, you know, I read the first three numbers and I go, well, what the hell is this fourth number for? And, and it took me three days to realize that I should stop looking at the first number, which is the floor that I am on, and just look at the last three numbers. And that way I can find my room. But it took me three days to do that. And, and the, the vertical tactile numbers, I don't understand those at all. I mean, I know what each one of them says, but I can't, I can't they don't compute. So what I'm saying to you, Pam, and saying to other people is, I'm very ambivalent about being here because I'd like people to think that I was a pretty competent guy and a pretty bright guy, but I'm feeling very incompetent and very insecure at this convention. And uh, oh, Chris, could I then, excuse me for interrupting, but yeah. we do have a time constraint. I'm sorry, I'll stop. Then I'd still ask that same question, to be honest with you, especially the part that talks about why do you continue to do it? Because you came here nonetheless with all of that this afternoon and shared an extremely personal story. Why do you continue doing even in the midst of the conflict? It's, it makes me feel alive and I feel that maybe I'm helping somebody else mm-hmm. and maybe not. Thank I don't know. Well, I can say yes. Okay, and if I'm just that only one person, I'm willing to be that person and say yes. And so, thank you, thank you. Uh, Anybody else want to? Yeah, may I take that next? Okay, okay. I think we have Margie first, and then we'll go to Anthony. I just want to say um, two things to add to my last, and that was diet and exercise makes a huge difference today in my daily routine. Now. Why do I continue sharing? And what was it like? The first time I sh- shared my story was at an AA meeting, and my brain was going, how stupid I am, blah, blah, blah. Why do I share this part of me with ACB? I know that there are others out there still suffering. I also know, as part of my sobriety, I must be honest 100% of the time. It took me 57 years of my life to ever mention the word sexual assault. I could, only I knew that. Now I t- I've told my brother, I've told others, and um, I don't have to be ashamed of it. I don't have to be ashamed of it. I don't have to be ashamed of being an alcoholic. I don't have to be ashamed of having anxiety attacks. I don't have to be ashamed of dealing with some depression from time to time. I am a wonderful, beautiful woman, and this is part of who I am. This is part of my life, my story, and I pray and share my story in hopes it will motivate others to begin to open up and share yours. Thank you. This is Anthony. So in the tagline for this event, it says something to the effect of often we hear parts of our story in other people's story. 
And first and foremost, Chris and, and Becky, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed. Courageous conversation doesn't even cover it. Um, your vulnerability is just awe-inspiring. And both of you have been amazing mentors in different ways for me um, as we've worked in this group. So courageously, I'm so glad you're sitting next to me, Mr. Bell. The first time I shared my story, wow. Let me say it this way instead. I, I shared my story in stages, and that's because I didn't understand my story in stages. But every time I did share, I felt like I got a part of the, that little boy, Anthony, back. And he got his voice got a little louder, and his tears were a little less. And, and every time, there was more of that until he's my partner now. You know, I don't have two voices in my head. Don't worry, everybody. I'm, I'm not going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's part of my conversation. The things that he experienced, I don't want to say that happened to him. The things that he experienced, the only way that he knew how to deal with them was to put them on a shelf and pretend like they weren't on a high, high shelf in that beautiful, fabulous closet, but, um, and pretend that they weren't there. And when I started to unpack them and, and deal with them, I got, I got that integration that I was searching for. I got to be just one Anthony. And the biggest part of, of it for me was if you don't like or, or, or want to experience Anthony, that's fine. That doesn't make me any less because you don't like me or you don't understand me. And I have to give that respect right back. Why I share... I, Margie and Chris just said it. I know folks that are listening today are going to hear parts of my story or Chris's story or Margie's story or Becky's story. And they may say, it's not, it's not all over for me, or I'm enough, or I will be enough because sometimes you have to fake it until you make it. You will be enough if you're not enough today. And I think I'll leave it there. I have to make you laugh because I've gotten to the point with my story. I just can't help but tell it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's an old song they used to sing in church that said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. So I (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So Becca, do you want to reflect on this? This Particularly the part about why you continue. Well, I continue. um, And, and, you know, when, when I, heard about this committee it was kind of like why me where do I fit in um because like I said all along I've always felt like I was different I don't fit in anywhere but the reason I'm doing it is is like everybody else we all have a story um some people's story is more graphic than others some people's story is more difficult than others but the main thing that I myself And I think we all need to um, keep in mind is that we are not alone. And and this has really meant a lot to me hearing what Anthony just said. Just, I mean, my heart is like just melting because it's like, I know that I'm not alone, but how many times do you have to sit there and tell yourself you're not alone? You're not alone. Um, And that's what I want people to grasp from this is that we are not alone and that we are there is no right and there is no wrong and that's something that I'm still learning about myself is I got to be me and if you can't be me then then there is a right and a wrong but you have to be be yourself and so I want people to just just know that you're not alone and that there are people out here and it's just you are you and 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 we need to proceed forward Thank you so much. Thank you. Chris and Anthony and Margie and Becca Lou. Well, today I heard them use the term health heroes. But for me, you are mental health heroes. Not just because of the nature of your story, but it has to do with your willingness to be transparent, to share which, what that which is intimately personal. But I heard from each of you a real desire that in doing so, somebody, somebody will feel better about themselves, 
will share their story and get the help that they need and also know that they are part of an organization that cares and by the establishment this establishment of this committee is making the statement that this is an organizational priority and they can look forward look forward to more we do want to thank diane who was our host we want to thank doug who's been our streamer we want to thank all of you in acb media who took the time and those who are using the Zoom platform and those who are in the um, room. We really want to thank you for being here. And what we want you to do is to really spread the word, spread the word about the caring, the sharing, the work, and the experience of those who assembled uh, here today. So on that note, we'll say thank you for coming, and everyone take care. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you all. Okay. Bye-bye.